This is the Make America Grape Again podcast, produced and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. In this podcast, we explore wines from all 50 states in the United States of America. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast. I'm your host, Cody Burkett. Hi, I'm Tiffany, uh, the wine hippie. So we are doing Arizona today and also focusing on wine aromatics. The Arizona wine of this podcast is one of my perennial favorites, the 2014 Malvasia Bianca from Sand Reckoner Vineyards in Wilcox. The grapes are sourced from his estate and I believe also Rolling View Vineyard. Again, Wilcox AVA. Rob Hellman, I think, is one of the best winemakers in Arizona. So Arizona is a tough one to narrow it down to three for me, guys. Uh, there's a lot of great wineries here, and being able to talk about your backyard is difficult because, you know, there's a lot of people that I know, a lot of people I'm friends with. There are some great wineries here in Arizona. There are some not great wineries in Arizona, just like anywhere else in the world. So trying to narrow it down to three wines has been difficult. There are other great wineries that you'll need to just come and visit that won't be covered in this podcast. So... Uh, this particular Malvasia Bianca was also a barrel ferment aged surly uh, in neutral French oak. Tiffany was kind enough to bring this really, really awesome aromatics kit. So we're gonna pl- we've been playing around with it before we started recording. And so along with Arizona as a focus today, we're also going to talk about wine aromatics. For Arizona, there's about a thousand acres, which is kind of why we've been using it as a nice benchmark for this podcast in terms of units of. Arizona as viticulture, uh, as we talked about in episode one and two with Gary. And there are, as of yesterday, uh, of the date of recording, which is July 30th, when this was recorded, there are 104 licensed and bonded wineries and tasting rooms in the state of Arizona. Incredible. We are recording right now at the infamous Patagonia Roadside Rest, uh, infamous if you're a birder, uh, almost a place of pilgrimage if you're a birder, uh, the foundation of what was later known in birding circles as the Patagonia Roadside Rest effect, where people go and see a rare bird and then find other rare birds, and then eventually the landowners get pissed and start fencing everything off, so you can't go in. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a a holy pilgrimage site for birders, um, but we are drinking Malvasia, which is, I think, one of the holy grails of Arizona wine. So, Tiffany, you want to talk about this really awesome aromatics kit that you brought? Yes. Uh, this is a Lonez de Vin, which is a, a compiling of about 54 wine esters. They have things like um, fruits, florals, vegetal and spicy, animal scents, uh, roasted flavors like uh, almond, hazelnut, coffee. Um, it's supposed to be a training tool for sommeliers. Uh, to recognize the notes, the, the aromatics in wine. And so these are all natural esters that are produced as a result of fermentation and grapes. Invariably, I get asked this question about 28 times a month, one for every day I work. Oh, so how do you get the chocolate in the wine? Or how do you get the oranges in the wine? Is it melon-infused? And it's just like, no, this is a result of the fermentation. These are not extra. So we've picked out some key aromas that are in this particular vintage. So number two is orange. I'm sorry, no. Grapefruit. 
because very obviously it's a slightly lighter shade of orange than the I know, it looks orange. just like an orange to me, but whatever. <laughs> so, um, this intensely fruity note is a distinguishing feature of great Sauvignon vintages of all oranges. Grapefruit is easy to detect in excellent dry white wines as well, as in great sweet wines, particularly in the best Sauternes and Trockenbier and Auslese. Try saying that five times really fast. From Austria and Germany. Um, we're getting grapefruit as one of the main primary uh, aromatic Definitely. fruit notes that's kind of intermingling the, with the whole of the palate. Yes, I definitely smell grapefruit. I also taste grapefruit. Mm-hmm. I do too. Scent number two is lychee. Or is it lychee? Lychee. Okay, so that's how you pronounce it. So lychee is, um, again, it remains closely associated with the Alsatian grape variety Gewürztraminer. At its best, this nose is accompanied by a floral rose nuance, uh, which is true of Gewürztraminer. However, this wine has no rose character whatsoever. Instead, the floral characters are mostly associated um, with two other scents that we pulled out, along with a couple scents that aren't even in this stash. Now, I find that the lychee is kind of, again, in the background as yeah, a secondary, you know. It's definitely a secondary aroma. We should talk about the differences between primary and secondary and tertiary aromas. Yes, absolutely. You know, one of the things um, that Master Sommelier Tim Gazer taught me is that um, you actually, when you bring the glass up to your nose, you want to smell low and high. And that's going to give you different um, aromas. So, so different aromas in different parts of the glass. Yeah, so when you smell at the bottom of the glass, put your nose in the glass and smell at the bottom, you're going to get, when you put your nose at the bottom and smell at the bottom of the glass, you're going to get your primary um, aromas. And then if you sniff high, which means put your nose on the top of the glass, you're going to get your secondary aromas. Now, I admit I use the best glasses I can find at the dollar store for these podcasts because the idea is, again, akin to not decanting any of the reds, is that most people don't have decanters. Correct. Uh, most people are not going to have Riedel glasses. And most of the people that have Riedel glasses break them when they try to wash them, if they're like me. <laughs> You're keeping it scientific by... Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to make this as... You know, and that's the whole point of this podcast. I'm trying to make these wines and this idea of wine tasting as accessible to the general public as I can. You're doing a good thing. Thank you. So what's our next aroma? Oh, orange. I definitely think the orange is a secondary smell. I think. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it's not as... It's, there's a definite second citrus note, and we were puzzling between lemon and orange. We decided mm -hmm. on orange as a second... A secondary note. Um, the orange note appears mainly in great mellow sweet wines after they've been laid down to age in the bottle for some time. Now, this Malvasia is four years old, and Malvasia is probably the most ageable white wine in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And this is dry, fermented to dryness, no residual sugar. So it's interesting that these characters are appearing in a dry white because it's, again, according to Lanez de Vin, mostly a sweet wine character. Now, what I've noticed in uh, Malvasias that are even older than this, and I've had some from like 2010, 2009, is that they get a lot of the same characters that you would expect from semi-sweet or sweet whites that age long term. Mm -hmm. uh, you get a lot of honey. You get a lot of creamy fig. White florals. Um, the white floral notes are prominent from the get-go with Malvasias mm -hmm. we're about yeah. to talk about. 
Now, what I've heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I may well be, uh, the tertiary notes are kind of those associated with aging long term. And mm -hmm. also, I've also heard that it's associated with what it's been made with and how it's made, which I think that that's kind of a weird way of separating it out because. To me, a lot of those characters are very prominent on both primary and secondary. I mean, you can call them tertiary as a result of how it's aged, but mm -hmm. I think that techniques such as oak or amphora fermenting or whatever are a kind of facetious thing uh, to separate out rather than characters that are developed by the intense aging of vintage. Right. I've also heard that the nose is a new wine, the bouquet is an older wine. Um, and they mean two different things, which I think is, again... Uh, uh, a little semantics there. Yeah. Uh, sommelier semantics, which sounds like a really great band. <laughs> Possibly bluegrass singing about... I was going to say hard rock, but okay. I could see. We, we could go either way. We could. Well, we know that there's got to be another metal band called The Crush yes. uh, for, for Grapes. And they're singing things like carbonic maceration. <laughs> anyway, so next up, we're going to look at one of those other floral notes. Now, the main floral notes we both agree that we're getting on this are gardenia, mm -hmm. honeysuckle, and elderflower. And elderflower is a very common character in Arizona Malvasia that I don't really get in Malvasia anywhere else in the world. So to me, that suggests a Tawar characteristic. But what we've got here in our little Nazduvin perfume bottle is acacia which is this great sort of perfumey aromatic character apologies for the little bit of a choppy audio there are cars passing by this site and we're cutting the audio to remove car noises whenever possible because we're hardcore like that <laughs> we're also doing this podcast at 9 a.m sorry 9 30 a.m so you know we're classy bitches <laughs> Yeah, we really need the orange juice to make this a mimosa. <laughs> you can't see this, guys, but I just gave Tiffany, like, a, a death glare. <laughs> yes. Like, how dare you do this to my Malvasia? It's very, my bae. Very similar to the first time we ever met. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Tiffany came into the tasting room to see me on my birthday. We're Instagram friends, so we had never formally met. Yeah. And so she comes in, and it's like, oh, what's the sweetest wine you have? Do you have any ice cubes or Sprite to go in this? And I'm just thinking in my head, God, I've got to text Tiffany after this for this horrible customer, because I share my horrible customer stories with her all the time. And then she's like, oh, it's, it's me, Tiffany, wine hippie. And I'm just like, oh, thank God, you're <laughs> fucking with me. <laughs> so what we have next is Hawthorne, which again, I love how the description here says, only the best Chardonnay reserves boast this soft, subtle note, uh, along with Arizona, along with Arizona Malvasia, apparently, so take note, sommeliers, <laughs> um, which often appears in a combination with almond or pear notes with sometimes a hint of honey, and I love how none of these other characters that are mentioned in this card are even in this. They are not. Maybe pear, barely, but... Oh, I'm not even getting pear. I'm really just... I mean, I've had warm. very, very stone-fruity Malvasias before. This is Mostly from our... the Verde, and this is not one of it's them. It's not. And Hawthorne has this sort of very light, ethereal, delicate character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely a secondary. Yeah. And you've got these other floral notes that are definitely primary. Mm-hmm. 
second to last up is a another major character in Arizona Maldacy as a whole. Let me see the pair. Sorry, we're we're backtracking. Tiffany's assistant has handed us the pair sent to be like, hey, maybe it is. And we're like, no. She's my hippette. <laughs> <laughs> Since she can't drink wine yet. Uh, again, I love how the mellow note is mostly found in Australian Chardonnays and Aust Austrian sweet wines based on Velschriesling or Bouvet and some of Chardonnay grapes, uh, which, again, this is nothing, but uh, I get a lot of, especially, like, honeydew melon mm -hmm. character. Definitely. Uh, and sometimes cantaloupe mm -hmm. on Arizona Malvasias. Cantaloupe on older ones. I can definitely see that. And it's there. I think this is definitely a, a secondary mm -hmm. note. The primary fruit notes are definitely those, um, hold on, I know the word, are definitely those, yes, Cody, tele telepathically project the image, that'll tell the people on the podcast. I'm sitting uh, across the table from you and I'm not getting it. Yeah. So. The secondary notes uh, are mostly these melons, but the primary fruit notes are definitely these intense citrus characters. Agreed. So last but not least, and the character that we're going to talk about is wine leaves. Wine leaves play an important role as natural fixing agents for aromas. Chardonnay grapes provide the most interesting notes of leaves. You also get this in a lot of uh, champagnes. And wine leaves, I've noticed, as a, a wine, especially the champagne ages, it turns from sort of a lees scent to almost like toast, like sourdough toast, mm -hmm. uh, which is awesome. Which we uh, have toast in these aromas, too. I... I Actually, that's a good question. Is it toast as in bread toast or is it an oak toast? I don't know. Let's 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 experiment. Toast. 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 Oh, it looks like bread toast. It does look like bread toast. But you get that sort of a little bit of those Lee's character in this Malvasy, and like I said, this was aged Sir Lee's. Oh yeah, this is toast. Uh, which she does to again fix the aromatic character of Malvasia because mm -hmm. that's such an important character for that grape out here. Absolutely. Now we got toast. Yeah, toast! <laughs> toast is a strong note which goes deliciously well with the butter note and the best Chardonnays from Burgundy, the United States, and Australia. Um, I don't know that we'll have the scent in here, but we'll find out. Um, God, that smells like really good toast. It's making me hungry, even though I just had a massive freaking right? breakfast. But it is not in this wine. And I think this note I, I strongly associate with either older... Older aged whites that were in newer oak or, or aged certainly long time. Like I've caught that scent in like champagne that was like 15 years old, which was a weird fun mm -hmm. uh, experiment. Yeah, but not in this wine. No, not at all. This is a really fun toy. Mm -hmm. So so what's your thoughts on Arizona Malvasia and Arizona so far? I love Arizona. Uh, we went to, uh, what was the second winery we went to? Calligan. Calligan. Oh my goodness. I love Calligan. Really thought that was some great wine. Yeah. Kent's uh, been in Arizona. He's probably the longest running winemaker at this point in the state of Arizona. And people like to say, I know everything, but he knows everything. And I he's forgotten things that I have will never learn. Okay. So, you know, he's he's one of the giants of the Arizona industry and, and a great, great guy, as you, mm -hmm. as you know, as you met him yesterday. Uh, really humble, down to earth, uh, which is surprising for the only Arizona winery that's been that has their has had their vintages served in the White House before. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, he doesn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, there's there's the information on all, whatever. Oh wow, that's great, exciting. great guy. But anyway, guys, we're going to visit a couple more wineries. 
and have some more fun. Let's make America great again. This was an episode of the Make America Grape Again podcast, sponsored, produced, and recorded by Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. You can reach us at makeamericagrapepodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at, at theazwinemonk, or on Twitter at cvburkett. Be sure to also check out our website, makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. My name is Tiffany Alonzo Pod. Please follow me on Instagram at wine underscore hippie or my website, winehippie.com. Or you can email me at winehippie1969 at gmail.com.